0: Hello, all. Uh, we are oh, we're just so refreshed after our break. Uh, but we're still on season break. We're not doing uh, you know regular season here. On uh, I guess I should introduce you to the show, Thronderdome. I am your host, Daniel Dottie. I am joined by the inestimable Reverend Ronnie Gardaki. And uh, hey, everybody, this is our first episode we've done since concluding the Thrawn trilogy. I, I know you're all very despondent out there. Uh, there's a there's a Timothy Zahn shaped hole in your hearts. But um, don't worry, we have just the doofus fanfiction ready to fill that hole. Um, for our first bonus uh, in between seasons here before we start up season four, uh, we, Ronnie and I, are going to be discussing a a, a work of media, I wasn't going to say, I was going to say art, but I think it's more media, it's content, a work of content that is...
1: It's a new ten, cinematic was, universe. <laughs>
0: It's a it's a bold new cinematic universe, which has close ties, we'll say, to uh, Star Wars, and that is Rebel Moon, directed uh, I think uh, written and directed. Uh, please,
1: please, Daniel, the full title: Rebel Moon Part One: A Child of Fire, the PG thirteen cut. Yeah, yeah,
0: sorry, Rebel Moon Dash Part One Colon A Child of Fire PG thirteen cut. Uh, written and directed by uh, Zack Snyder, uh, the auteur filmmaker Zack Snyder. He's writing, he's producing, this is his, his baby uh, that he's come up with. Uh, and I say it's you know related to Star Wars content, and it's related in a number of ways. One is that it actually began life as a Star Wars pitch.
1: Right, Ronnie? Yes. Uh, it, according to IMDb Trivia, it says Zack Snyder first conceived this as a Star Wars movie and pitched it to Lucasfilm shortly after it was bought by Disney in 2012, but it never got off the ground. So
0: it's been simmering. This, this has been percolating for over a decade now uh, in, in the mind of, of Zack Snyder. Uh, it has been, it's, a, it's a Netflix original. So Netflix dropped hundred and sixty million dollars on parts one and two. So I guess we'll say eighty million per part. Um, so you know, not and you boy know, does
1: it show up in the movie.
0: <laughs> you see every penny on that screen. <laughs> but um, I, I bring that up just to kind of mention, like the the scale of it all um, is it it, it 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 ends up being it feels very much like a scaled up fan fan film in every respect um and it is the watching experience well I guess we'll we'll get into more details about it but I just want the listener to know that you know Ronnie and I watched it together we hang you know we had the phone call going while we were watching and I think Ronnie can attest that my the main emotions I felt throughout the entire two hours plus of part one of this uh, film dyad was just boredom and anger.
1: <laughs> So that's going. You to took include... the words right out of my mouth. I was literally thinking boredom and anger. Boredom and anger.
0: <laughs> this is this is what this the, the the emotional landscape this film cultivates is, in its viewer is one of boredom and anger, and that will kind of suffuse through our uh, our our review here. Our just dis- more of a discussion than a review, because um, I don't think we're we're not going to give it like a, a bag of popcorn rating at the end. Although I'm a, I moat, I I'm moat. I'm I mean, I
1: think I think uh, Tim and Greg would sue us if we did that. They are notoriously litigious, especially Tim and his new kind of
0: hard-edged conservative uh, podcast commentator uh, persona. But um, so I guess to kind of to give it to give you the listeners a bit of context, aside from the kind of the the behind-the-scenes about Zack Snyder and and all that. We all know Zack Snyder, of course, the director of such uh, hits as Three Hundred, Watchmen. Those are the only two Zack Snyder films I have seen. Did I you see remember the Owl we, movie? I, the Guardians of Gahool? I did not. No. Sadly.
1: Um, it might it, actually be his best movie.
0: <laughs> I would believe it. I would absolutely believe it after having watched this. Although and, I, have
1: uh, the, I have the caveat that I actually am one of the few people who liked Batman v Superman. So, that, that's oh, my scarlet yeah. letter. <laughs>
0: And hey, you know, I'll I'll uh, I'll go out on a limb here and say that like I didn't hate his Watchmen movie, uh, you know. I, I definitely I, hated it. <laughs> I I watched it. I, I'll, I'll say I haven't. I watched it the one time, and I didn't feel the same boredom and anger that I did watching this. So you know, here's, here's
1: my Watchmen. Here's my quick Watchmen story. I saw it opening night in two thousand nine, drunk off my ass, and. The thing I recall most from it is one, I lost my my uh, my Montreal Expos cap, which still pisses me off, and two, yeah. I laughed uproariously at the idea of of Doctor Manhattan giving people ass cancer, and someone literally yelled out, "Hey, that's not cool! I have cancer." <laughs> Oh boy,
0: yeah, that's a, that's a good that's a good movie theater experience. It actually reminds me of when I went to go see The Patriot, starring Mel, uh, Mel Gibson. My girlfriend at the time in high school wanted to go see it. I I had no interest, but you know, you, you, th- throw a bone to your lady friend, you know. So we're there uh, watching the movie and. Um, I have been rolling my eyes most of the runtime, uh, but it's the, the kind of the, the act break before the third act where uh, everybody, the Patriot, is chilling in uh, Gullah country in South Carolina, having escaped the British. And uh, the, he's, he's sitting on a log by the beach, or sorry, his, the, the love interest is sitting on a log by the beach, and he walks up and says, Mind if I join you? And she says, It's a free country. And I bust out laughing like it it was like the stupidest thing I have ever heard in my life. I was just howling with laughter and the entire theater all turned and glared at me. And like, I'm sorry, you people are the ones with the problem. (laughs) And uh, my girlfriend was so embarrassed. It was great. Uh, But to bring us back to Rebel Moon, Rebel Moon, Rebel Moon, Um, right from the title you can see where Zack is getting his inspiration, but don't think he's limited just to Star Wars. Oh, oh no! <laughs> no, this is this turns into an incredible grab bag. But just to I guess to lay out the plot, such as it is, uh, there is a this is a space opera, so everyone has spaceships and no one's too fussed about how they work. It's just they just do. Um, there's a a backwoods farm community. On a moon with uh, you know with a, with a great big ringed planet uh, in the sky, and that was kind of a cool image. But it's a very cheesily archaic farm. I mean, we're talking like you know Amish style with like horse drawn or whatever the the
1: creature is. It's some horse like creature drawn plowing and. Well, and one running. of the highlights of the film, in my mind, the uh, horse like creatures. Yes, horse like because creatures. it also <laughs> reminded me that if Timothy Zahn was writing the novelization, he would definitely just say. They were horse-like creatures.
0: Exactly, and leave it at that. Because he, unlike Zack Snyder, is an efficient storyteller. <laughs> he does not leave any fat on the on the cut. Um, but anyway, we. Timothy are Zahn introduced... is
1: absolutely a better storyteller than Zack Snyder. I, I don't want. I don't want Daniel's remark to be seen as facetious.
0: No, no, no. I, I, I'm I'm sincere. I am actually. Well, I'm a, I was a little facetious about anyway. But no, I I would agree. I would put Timothy Zahn above Zack Snyder as a. As an architect of narratives, um, we are introduced to a uh, a woman named Cora, who is a newcomer to this town. She's only been there about six months or so, and people are kind of slow to warm up to her. But she's made a place for herself there, and she's starting to become respected. Um, but for if I say that that's that's all kind of what you get. Uh, a few a few scenes in the very first scene of the movie. Is the big bad's star destroyer arriving via a gaping space vagina, which is
1: a heck of an that, effect really shot? Really set the tone of the, the film. It really set
0: the tone, where a a, a clearly vaginal, uh, you know, a, a yonic imagery deployed to represent the warp rift opening, and a, and a long phallic starship comes sliding out. <laughs> So, these I mean, are we
1: the... don't we don't explicitly have evidence of vaginas exist in Star Wars. So this is really like Zack Snyder putting his his stamp <laughs> on the on the space opera concept. This
0: is how, this is how he's differentiating his space opera, his, his new narrative IP, his new his new extended universe, which will surely be let's spun get out some Georgia
1: O'Keefe up in this shit. <laughs> <laughs> so.
0: So the so so that kind of sets up the first scenes of Georgia O'Keefe's Rebel Moon. Um, so these are the big bads. They come down to the the Podunk Hayseed Farmer planet and offer to buy grain from them. This is a little contentious among the the townsfolk because you know no they don't want to get involved in in the Empire of Mother World, which is who these guys represent. And they dress exactly like Nazis. It's all Nazi getups and. You know, Ronnie, you pointed out that you thought that was very lazy, and I think it is very lazy, but from a different direction, because I don't think Zack Snyder got his inspiration for these costumes directly from Hugo Boss. I think he got them via the Warhammer 40,000 parody of an authoritarian, uh, horrible Nazi regime, the Imperium, uh, which sadly all of the mouth-breathing reactionary fans of Warhammer 40,000 think are the good guys. Um but uh, the the costuming looks very much like a commissar of the Imperial Guard, if anyone's familiar with that. Uh, as well as the 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 mooks, the stormtroopers, uh, their armor looks very much like the Cadians, uh, the Cadian Imperial Guard, except there's a lot of like little filigree on their on their uh, kind of. You plastic you could probably convince football me that, stuff.
1: You could probably convince me that Zack Snyder's enough of a meathead that he doesn't know what Nazis are. <laughs> all he knows is how they've been well no he's seen indiana jones so he knows he probably thinks that
0: indiana jones
1: created nazis
0: created nazis exactly that was you know oh what a cool you know uh idea oh, those cool. those uh,
1: indiana jones characters the indiana
0: jones guys uh what a cool crossover <laughs> but uh anyway um there's some hemming and hawing uh one villager guy gets killed and then the, uh, cory Stoll
1: uh, in a uh, thankless role where indiana- he has a Graded beard.
0: Yeah, that's right. Um, and so the the leader of this particular expedition, Atticus Noble, uh, issues a demand to this village that they need to prepare some ten thousand bushels or twelve thousand bushels of grain for them to requisition in ten weeks. They'll be back in ten weeks. Cora warns them that no, when they come back, they're just going to slaughter everyone. We have to mount some kind of defense. And this is where things start getting very confusing to me because, for one, you know, clearly... Okay, so here we have the setup. It's a space opera with Warhammer 40,000 guys in it, and the plot is Seven Samurai. But... The, I, I, well, I, I guess we'll we'll, we'll we'll dive into everything that does make sense about this. Uh, but here's, you know, clearly, like, these, the influences are on the sleeve. Korra insists that they need, they need to gather up some, some warriors to, for, to defend this village. And to do so they're going to have to travel around to several different planets (laughs) to gather up people to defend this one village from the big bads. And it was never clear to me whether all of these planets were under the umbrella of the Mother World Empire. I don't know how far away they are from each other. We have no idea how far away they are from each other, but that's, you know, I mean, that's a standard thing in stupid space opera. But, yeah, no idea how long it takes to get anywhere. Um, I don't know. I,
1: I felt like Star Wars had, like, a plausible, like, uh pacing, so you sense that time was passing.
0: That's fair, yeah. Yeah, 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 you're right. In, in the original Star Wars, the fact that they have scenes of them kind of, you know, dicking around on the Millennium Falcon while they're heading toward their destination. Also, in the
1: like, original Star Wars, they only go to, like, what, two planets? Two. Yeah, they're, they're only on two planets, yeah. Um, they pick up Obi-Wan the and, and the droids and, and Han and Chewie all on Tatooine. That's right, then they go to the Death Star and then they go to Yavin. You're right, two planets. Um, Whereas they go to about seven planets in this movie, and (laughs) they're less (laughs) defined and more poorly rendered than the uh, various worlds in Donkey Kong Country, I would argue. (laughs) Yes. Uh, But uh,
0: while we're kind of getting this set up, they're traveling to the, the spaceport on the planet, uh, to kinda arrange pass to find to find Han Solo to arrange passage off their backwater desert planet. Um it, the Korra reveals to uh the guy from the village Gunnar that she actually had served in the Mother World Imperium as a soldier because she had been adopted by Balisarius, the uh an Imperium commander. Uh and After like, you know, her parents have been killed or whatever. Uh, And so this begins a, was it a a series of different flashbacks or was it all just one flashback? I don't know. This is all very
1: convoluted. I mean, it's... (laughs) I'm sorry. it's, it's, It's what I like to call complicated without being complex.
0: Yes, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. Hence the boredom and anger. (laughs) <laughs> like it's it's complicated let, let, but let ha- me no let me payoff. try to
1: lend a hand in like uh explaining a bit of this because okay please
0: please do yeah
1: basically what happened is uh apparently the galaxy or universe or whatever was uh under the control of a monarchy but everyone loved it so much so that fucking carrie Elways was the king but then I guess like uh, balls Yahoo serious kills uh, kills the <laughs> king and queen and also the little uh, the little daughter who who can bring birds back to life for some reason we see that I don't yeah there's 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 actual
0: so, magic powers within the royal bloodline.
1: So if you told me that Zack Snyder would be ripping off you know Anastasia, I would have said that's pretty strange. But uh, I guess he sort of was. Because, I mean, I guess the lesson of this movie is the Romanovs should not have been killed.
0: Right. If you had told me that Zack Snyder's uh, Star Wars pastiche ends up really drawing heavily on white Russian propaganda, I would not have believed you. (laughs) But here we have it. But, yes, so that's kind of where, I guess, you know, the mother... War- so it's a bit of, like, the Empire, right? There, there used to be a, a good Yeah, society, instead of you know? Empire, it's
1: the Imperium, and instead of, like, Emperor, uh, Ball Sirius is Regent.
0: Right, 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 yeah. Which I believe um, is
1: just ripping off war Cam- Warhammer 40k. It's very...
0: It's very... Exactly. It very much is, yeah. And that the, the, the god-emperor is entombed and inert on his golden throne, and his Imperium is ruled... Uh, by a uh, a council in his stead, um, but anyway, they arrive at the spaceport, Providence. <laughs> um, I and think they you, you a...
1: skipped over the the, uh, the the Anthony Hopkins robot uh, and the attempted rape. Oh, did you not? Yeah, I I did. Well, if, because, look, if we're gonna Cora, have to talk Cora about is Cora, is you know just you know toiling in obscurity until. Uh, a group of uh, Imperium soldiers try to rape a, a village woman and then she, like, shows off her awesome fighting skills in dispatching them. also right, And also, which, and also yeah. uh, the Anthony Hopkins uh, robot who, I guess, is the last of... According to Wikipedia, the last member of a race of mechanical knights. Um, yeah, yeah. He shoots a guy and, and then just nopes out of the rest of the movie until the very end. <laughs> and here's one of my one of my one of my IMDb trivia fun facts. Sir Ian McK- and you'll really like this. Sir Ian McKellen, Sir Patrick Stewart, Liam Neeson, Morgan Freeman and Anthony Daniels were considered to play Jimmy the Robot until Sir Anthony Hopkins was chosen. <laughs> <laughs> Anthony fucking Daniels. I bought a motorcycles Anthony Daniels.
0: <laughs> I bought a vampire
1: motorcycles. Anthony Daniels. <laughs> I imagine that they sent the script over to Anthony Daniels as representatives, and they immediately got a letter from Lucasfilm saying, "Not on your life,
0: absolutely not." No, yeah, because the design on this robot is very C three uh It's it's a it's a it's a lanky humanoid
1: robot. And, and um, if you and if you're wondering if the robot's gay, he does wear uh, flowers on his head for. Most of the screen time.
0: That's true. Uh, and you could just, you know, I mean, you don't have to be gay to enjoy a, a Daisy Crown. Um Zack
1: Snyder definitely thinks you have to be gay to enjoy a Daisy Crown. Let's not, <laughs> let's not beat around the bush here. That's true. That's true. So, um...
0: Okay, With the, thank you. Yeah, so that that explains why Korra's on the run. That's why she has to Yes, now des- now we desert. can get into
1: the uh, gathering the team uh, segment of the movie, which is about 80% of the movie. Right, we're gathering the team. We're, we're going to
0: multiple planets to gather a team of a half dozen, you know, people to defend one village from the, the military that rules the universe. So... All right, um, you might say but... they were gathering seven samurai. <laughs> One might be. All right, I'm sa- I'm saving my critiques until we're done with this fucking plot synopsis, and th- th- we're just gonna kind of run through this because each of the so it's very episodic. Each of the recruiting a guy is its own little story, or it introduces the character. So they go to they like go little... to the
1: canteen and they recruit uh, Charlie Hunnam doing an atrocious Irish accent. Yes, as uh, plays... as Kai. He... He plays Kai, the uh, the Han Solo. He a doesn't, smuggler. He, does, he doesn't have a Chewie. Um, no, effect. sadly. Um, um, this this is the scene which which has your favorite character, I believe in it. The uh, the brain monster that that's hooked up to the human guy. Oh, that is a good one. Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: Where the, and that, that was actually a touch that I appreciated. That's a little bit of the zany kind of heavy metal kind of uh, science fantasy there. But there's an alien that is like a kind of disembodied brain but has little tentacles that reach into a uh, a corpse that he uses to animate to talk, which
1: I enjoyed. <laughs> um,
0: so of course he's
1: not in the rest of the movie because that might have been entertaining. No, that would have been too interesting. Uh, so
0: they all blast off to start recruiting guys uh, and the I, I forget what order they all go in. This, um, this really
1: just, this really just devolves into like movies Zack Snyder has seen repurposed as set pieces because we have the, the avatar, uh, scene where the shirtless yes. guy, uh, tames the, uh, the, a hippogriff, the hippogriff uh, for, like a literal
0: hippogriff from Harry Potter.
1: Yeah. Cause, cause Terek, whatever his name is, <laughs> Turok, he has the ability yes. to, to like talk to animals. Which you might think plays into the plot, but absolutely does not. Well, we have to there's, wait till part no two. There's no like, there's no like third act moment where he like uh, summons like a, a, an octopus or something. No, right. So
0: they, they they go to some kind of you know like uh, a dusty uh, fa- uh, ranch planet to recruit Turok the Beastmaster. Uh, then they go to then they go to the the Blade, Blade Runner, Runner planet. planet. They go to Blade Runner planet. Because they go to a planet which is just entirely ripping off the design of 2019 Los Angeles from Blade Runner, where a, as Wikipedia puts it, a talented cybernetic swordswoman by the name of Nemesis is is found uh, fighting and slaying a spider lady played by Jenna Malone uh, in a in a rainy alley. Uh so I, they, I will were... say that
1: that Nemesis, the Blade Runner. Uh... Is actually a Korean actress who's been in a a couple things, uh, "Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance" and "The Host," and really, what's strange about this movie is that there are no real like big names. I I would argue that probably Anthony Hopkins is the biggest name in the movie, for sure. They're they're not necessarily bad actors, but they're like you know, they seem like everybody's third choice for 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 each role.
0: (laughs) <laughs> yeah That's a good point See Tarak was clearly He was clearly hoping to get uh, Jason Momoa For that Yeah one. Like obviously um, But yeah So we recruit Nemesis The uh, Korean robot sword lady
1: um, Who kills Jenna Malone The spider woman Who's stealing children for I mean it felt like we were Walking in part, part three of a uh, Of a storyline
0: Yeah it really is the kind of thing that, like, if you're doing little pastiches, you know, in set pieces, like, why do you put the spider lady in the Blade Runner one? <laughs> it just is a, It's a tonal mismatch that perhaps will be, you don't know, maybe there'll be something that kind of ties it together later. Then uh, they go
1: to uh, Gladiator Planet.
0: They go to Gladiator Planet, where they find a... Uh, uh, a homeless, a, uh, homeless a, drunk, homeless... Uh,
1: Digimon Hansu.
0: That's right, he's a disgraced... Uh, former general of the Imperium who, uh, is eager to have, you know, he's, he's happy to have his revenge on them.
1: Now, I'm I'm sure you're wondering, you know, do these characters have like motivations or specific reasons for joining the fight? The answer is no, because there's virtually no character development in this movie. (laughs) No, (laughs) there, there, there really is not. Um, I mean, if we didn't have... We both have Wikipedia open. If we didn't have Wikipedia open, we wouldn't know any of these names of these characters.
0: We would not have any, any, any uh, point of reference, really. It's really like I, I'm reading these things and thinking, oh, so that's what, what that was supposed to be. Uh, for example, so Gunnar, the guy from the village, had previously dealt with some kind of like rebel group called the Blood Axes. That's another thing uh that's the name of a, of a uh tribe of orcs in Warhammer 40K. Um
1: but here so it's they... just a, a pair a, a brother and sister's surname.
0: Yes, it's just their surname. The the you know uh what are what are their names? Devra and Darian Bloodaxe. Um they go to a planet that's hosting them so their rebellion is I guess like they're, they have sanctuary on a planet ruled by King Levitica, who is a, some kind of octopus man. Um, and so these aliens take them. And so evidently this kingdom, this planet, is not under the authority of Mother, mother World. But they're still completely vulnerable to them because as soon as uh, Korra and everybody leave with the blood axes, uh, the uh, no, Atticus Nobles dread not the king's gaze arrives at the planet... And uh, kills King Levitica and destroys all of them. Uh, the Blood Axes
1: so. have like an entire army, but like three of them decide to come with the the gang, the Magnificent yeah. Seven.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. They have they have an actual army, but they're sending a, a, like one or two, three people. Yeah, to stand to stand up to the guy who just arrived at the planet and destroyed the army <laughs> that had been left there. So, um, uh, Kai has a, uh, it turns out he's the bad kind of Han Solo. Uh, well,
1: never trust the Irish.
0: Exactly, because he takes them somewhere and is like, ooh, I'm going to join you guys, but i got to make one last stop. And where he drops them off is an ambush uh, so that Atticus Noble can uh, find them and kill them before they can before they can get their seven people back to the village where he's going to go get his grain in ten weeks. Again, let's remember, this is about grain. Um, There's so... so much
1: about grain yield in this fucking movie. <laughs> like, was, uh, was Zack Snyder given a stipend by the Grain Council? I, I yeah, I, I have no clue. It's, you know, hey, please remember grain.
0: It's very important, even in outer space. Um... So, a a battle happens. Uh, Darian Bloodaxe, who was just introduced to us maybe 20 minutes before, is the guy who sacrifices himself nobly. So, it it doesn't make any sense from anyone's standpoint. I
1: mean, he sacrifices himself nobly, but he doesn't seem to, like, turn the tide of battle whatsoever. So, it's sort of a a (laughs) damn squib of death. Right. Uh,
0: But Atticus Noble does end up getting killed. So, the 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 evil assistant to so, the emperor so the dies. Adam,
1: the perfidious Irishman.
0: Yeah, the perfidious Irishman gets his comeuppance, as befits all Irishmen. Um, and the uh, the team of warriors return to Veld. I forgot the name of the uh, moon is Veld, which I will have a little bit more to talk the, about. The later. titular
1: rebel moon.
0: The titular rebel moon. Um, and it says it says here in the. Uh, Wikipedia synopsis and I don't remember I, I think I was just done with everything by the time this happened. Noble's corpse is recovered by Mother World forces and he is revived after having spoken on an astral plane with Balisarius.
1: I didn't know I that was the astral plane. <laughs> I thought that was just like, <laughs> you know uh Ball Sirius's house or whatever.
0: Yeah, yeah. Apparently apparently that was they were talking in, in the in the realm beyond the veil. I love that uh, for
1: some reason Zack Snyder thought the viewers have not had enough of Ed Screen's Atticus Noble. We got to bring him back for part two. <laughs> it, he, it can't uh, end like this. We haven't, we, gotten into our, we haven't gotten into our highlights or lowlights yet, but I'll say right now, Ed Screen is fucking awful in this movie. He, he is not good. Yeah. He, I mean... Because this is so clearly a pastiche of Star Wars, among other things, you have to compare Ed Screen's Atticus Noble character to Darth Vader, and Darth Vader, yeah, it's nowhere I mean, near. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to be honest, it's it's really hard to like get even close to like being as iconic or cool or interesting as Darth Vader. Doesn't even if touch only it. from a design standpoint. But just yeah, putting it's... just putting a fucking putting the fucking second guy to play the transporter in a Nazi uniform is not doing <laughs> it enough. It's not a compelling
0: villain. Make and what's really funny is that his whole performance, like there are at least two, probably more scenes where he's clearly aping Christoph Waltz's
1: performance from Inglorious. Oh yeah, Bastards. I forgot about that. There's <laughs> so much Inglorious Bastards in this movie.
0: But like the first, the first scene where he's talking with the villagers, and it's like he's doing that whole like I know that you know that I know routine that Christoph Waltz, of course, really made so electrifying, intense in his performance. That here it's just it's just retread at least two times, uh, and it doesn't make any sense. And it's just a really stupid performance.
1: Um, not good. Not good Prob- at all. Probably the worst performance in the movie, and that's... which is really saying something. <laughs>
0: because because this is mostly... there are a lot
1: of there are a lot of people that I don't think were necessarily cast for their acting abilities. I'm pretty yeah, sure that mean... the Tarak guy was cast because he looked good with a shirt off.
0: <laughs> well, the Tarak guy was cast and because he could, if and he, he could talk
1: to to uh, to, to bird cats.
0: Uh, yeah, the Tarak guy was cast because if you squint, he kind of looks like Jason Momoa. <laughs> so um but yeah so that's that's kind of the 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 arc of it here now we are talking about a the story isn't complete you know we've only seen part one ronnie zach could really turn it around for part two is what i'm trying to say um but i i do not have a lot of uh confidence in that i think we're just going to have to this is it's such a disjointed and incoherent movie itself that i think what we're just going to have to do to kind of sort of round out our discussion and and kind of like our discussion of the film uh, is going to have to take the form of just us going through our checklist of shit that annoyed us (laughs) or that we didn't understand or was stupid.
1: Um, I mean, they really front loaded the movie with the grain yield discussions that I did not care for. I mean, if you compare it, we're, we're going to compare it to star Wars a lot more, Uh, but you compare it to the beginning of Star Wars. You get you know fucking blow up a planet. You get to see uh you get to see a you know Luke Skywalker haggle with with uh, little little people in in uh, in, in hoods. There, there's so yeah. much more going on in Star Wars than in this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, it's it's and we can talk about the
0: grain because this is what really. I think it's emblematic of so much that is misbegotten about this whole project, because all right, so clearly the setup is Seven Samurai. You know, we've all seen, and 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 in Seven Samurai, it's a it's a group of uh kind of local bandits that's menacing a village, and so the there's there's you know one good-hearted samurai who's gonna you know the villagers are very poor, but he's gonna try to put together you know a handful of guys to, to help defend them from these bandits, right? Who are going to, you know, who are going to suborn their grain. So that's what Zack is taking off of. But he doesn't even bother to change grain into something that makes sense for a fucking spaceship setting. Like, I'm not saying people don't have to eat in outer space. But why is a galaxy-spanning military bothering... To requisition grain from some forgotten backwater? Don't they actual? Don't they have actual like mechanized farms somewhere in this empire? Why would this at all need to happen? You know, you could you could easily change it to some other you know MacGuffin, some kind of science fiction MacGuffin. Oh, they need like you know uh, power crystals or whatever. That's not hard to do.
1: Yeah, some you can sort do of that.
0: resource that only this planet has. Right, that would that would make it a center of conflict or whatever. Like as it is, in in that ten weeks, you could just go to some other planet and plant a crop of wheat. <laughs> like there's no reason to do this. Um, but that's but that's indicative of a lot of things that have gone wrong here because it's Zack Snyder pulling on something he thinks is neat, and he wants to include elements of it, but he cannot. He has no judgment on what. On how to adapt those elements to what he's doing, it's just—it's purely cut
1: and paste. He just and thinks that's a really lot of so things that are cool, but he doesn't know why they're cool.
0: Exactly, and it's the same. And the thing is, this is the same problem that I think Ernest Klein has. Uh, like we're both, uh, and we've mentioned on the show before, Ronnie and I are both avid listeners to 372 Pages We'll Never Get Back, the book review podcast that, in, in large part, inspired what we do here on Thronderdome. Because we sure uh, as the, hell
1: aren't going to be reading Ernest Cline books, you know, straight. <laughs> no, we're, I'm going to I'm going to let Mike Nelson. I mean, I'm going to let the uh, the Tracks guys do it for me.
0: Exactly, exactly. So we so but we have a familiarity with Ready Player One, Ready Pl- the Dire Ready Player Two, uh, Armada, the whole oeuvre of Ernest. His, Klein. his poetry, his poetry,
1: his slam poetry, and um, and of course we're intimately familiar with his uh, screenwriting debut, Fanboys. Exactly, we are. We are probably the foremost
0: scholars on Fanboys, frankly. Um, but but I think Ernest Klein has a similar problem where all he knows is references, and it, it, he can't synthesize it. He can't take his. He had, he had some kind of emotional response, but he doesn't know why or how. <laughs> and so all he can do is just cut and paste what he saw that made him feel something. I think, I think a good, a I think a good counterpoint
1: that I brought up while we were watching it is Quentin Tarantino, who clearly has influences in his films, but he remixes them in such a way that they feel as though he's doing something with them to create a discrete uh, piece of art. Whereas this right. just seems like a a bunch of bullshit strung together that <laughs> reminds you of things you'd rather be watching.
0: It's like if somebody, it's like if somebody like made a uh,
1: they they um, dude, this is not that far removed from fucking Chris Chan, Craig Sonichu. Well, yeah. Well, I was going to say it's like
0: someone creating like a kind of like fan image, but just using like cut and pasted images, like not even like drawing it themselves. That's that's what it is. Instead of drawing a fan image for himself, Zack Snyder has cut and paste a bunch of stuff together. You can see the seams. You can see what doesn't jive with each other. You can see what doesn't rhyme. It's really maddening, and I think another counterpoint, like I think Quentin Tarantino is is a good one, and also we're going to bring it back to Star Wars, George Lucas.
1: Yeah, George Lucas synthesized a bunch of influences to create something Star Wars. Yeah, Yeah.
0: but that that was that was that was itself. Like he he watched, you know, he 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 saw a few Artie Samurai movies that he really enjoyed. He had memories of the Flash Gordon serial. He probably like ended up getting reels of it to you know watch it again. Uh, because there are a few shots in Star Wars, like A New Hope, that are directly lifted from that uh, that serial. And I think in that context, it's more of a fun wink than, you know, because it's a shot. It's not like a type of character or a setting that is being lifted.
1: <laughs> but, but he there's was a, able there's to a digest between it. Doing an homage and doing original character do <clears throat> not steal. Exactly. There I think there's a way and everyone has influences,
0: and that's part of what moves what's interesting about a literary or an artistic tradition is that each you know person coming around is digesting and thinking on and chewing on what they've seen before, and then they add something of themselves to make something new. It's an iterative process, yeah? And but Zach just does not have the juice. He does not have the juice. If you would have picked any one of these science fiction properties that he's... Avatar, Blade Runner, Star Wars, Warhammer 40,000. If he had picked any one of them to focus on as, okay, I'm going to make my twist on this, it would have been so much more successful. uh, Because it wouldn't have been just such a glaring like cut-and-paste job. Um, Because it doesn't make any sense. I don't know why any of these people would know where to find the other people. Right? How did they know that Cyborg Lady was going to be fighting a spider in that street on Blade Runner Planet. I don't think that's ever explained. <laughs> Maybe in the R-rated cut. I don't know.
1: See, that's another thing. That's, the, that's really the elephant in the room, which is that this is clearly an incomplete film, which is... Like, I understand why Zack Snyder's Justice League happened. He had to leave the production of Justice League because his right. daughter committed suicide. You know right. that's understandably and tragic, and I I can see why he would want to create his own cut of the movie after after Josh Josh Whedon uh, reshot a, a, a pretty big portion of it, but this like Netflix is clearly just banking on the annoying Snyder cut people for marketing purposes.
0: Yeah, yeah, it, it's. Like there's no reason for there to be a Snyder cut because my man, every one of these is a Snyder cut. You're doing the cut. Yeah, it,
1: it's not like so. It's not like Netflix locked him out of the fucking editing bay. <laughs> this, this is a, this is a this is like I don't. This is like fucking Pokemon Red and Blue. It's clearly just an effort <laughs> to to get get you to watch this fucking thing twice.
0: Yeah, yeah, it, it's really it's it's nonsense, it's a nonsensical it's, and that's what I th- another thing that's indicative of all this is like I don't, I I would be very curious and I, I guess I need to read up a little more, this is probably out there somewhere as to Like the reason th- that
1: fucking Peter Jackson made extended editions of the Lord of the Rings movies is because he showed them fucking theatrically and there were, you know, limits to what you could show theatrically before theaters get pissed off at how long your movie is, whereas exactly. on the home video yeah. market, you don't really have those limitations. This is strict Netflix. There are no limitations. Yeah. You can make it as long as you fucking want. <laughs> exactly. You can make it rated R. You can make it rated X. Who gives a shit? Exactly. It's um, Netflix. It's Netflix. It's not TV. It's
0: Netflix. That, uh, that's
1: fucking why you go to streaming in the first place, because you, are, you don't have those restrictions. I mean, ideally... <laughs> I, I, what the fuck are we doing? It's it's baffling,
0: and it's really it's really it's baffling, and also like lazy. I mean, it's really I had to ask Ronnie like, is every Zack Snyder movie like this after the third or fourth slow motion
1: yes. for no reason?
0: <laughs> like there were they are like it's slow called motion speed scenes. ramping,
1: and it's terrible.
0: It's it, but it didn't make any sense. Like it, when they chose to do the slow mo. It wasn't highlighting anything, anything interesting. It wasn't, it, it it wasn't slowing down a pivotal moment. It was just the. It's like he fucking you know, saw the Matrix and
1: was like, "I could do bullet time."
0: Yeah, but he's doing bullet time on someone like running from one piece of cover to another, not like making what a if, shot. What if or, bullet
1: time was for
0: things other than bullets? Think what if this. you could do bullet time while you're riding the elevator? <laughs> <This> <laughs> Think about so, that. This is such a fucking <laughs>
1: stupid movie. I hate it.
0: It's stupid and lazy in a lot of in a lot of different
1: ways, hence the boredom and anger.
0: Uh, but it also I saw looks literally chin- hundreds of
1: movies last year and this is my second most hated one.
0: <laughs> it's also very chintzy. Like, there's nothing wrong with not having a big budget. There like there there really isn't. In fact, a lot of great work is done with limitations, like Star Wars. <laughs> um
1: you know,
0: that was not, that was not we, like a small budget.
1: We, we sing the praises of Babylon five and that had the budget of like $500 <laughs> and some, some fucking uh, markers.
0: Right. But at least it had, okay. Like Babylon five, I think is very illustrative and indicative. And I, cause if you're going to spend $80 million on your thing and your sets look like shit and your costumes look like shit, then, and your props look like shit, the guns look terrible. Uh, if, you're gonna ha- stupid. if you're,
1: you're
0: going to have a shooty science fiction movie, your guns have to look cool. I'm sorry, but they have to. They have to look cool. You have to have a, a you know, uh, like a, an alien's pulse rifle, right? It has to look cool. And these don't look cool. Um, so all that money, you like, if you're like, oh, well, that must go into the CGI, right? For all the spaceships. Buddy, if it did then whatever CGI studio they got ripped them off badly because it literally does look like maybe Circus Season 4 Babylon 5 quality.
1: I mean, God, it's I'm just, not. I'm sorry, I'm just looking at the tagline on this poster, and I hate it even more. The, the tagline for Rebel Moon Part 1 of Child of Fire is, there are no heroes, only rebels. <laughs> but it's not like they do anything like morally dubious in this movie. It's not like they commit acts of terror. They right, they're, they're they they're kill anti-heroes. all they they kill they kill people that are obviously coded as bad guys. They, right, they're not like there's no collateral damage whatsoever. There's there's no ethical quandaries. So what the fuck are we talking about? This is so <laughs> stupid. <laughs> it's all misbegotten, top to bottom, and. This makes me nostalgic for the fucking Disney Star Wars movies, and I hated those.
0: Well, it honestly, it's it's making me, my heart is going out to, like, the production design team on this. Because, like, I'm starting to understand, like, maybe why everything looks so crappy. And partly it's because, like, the, you know, set designers and production designers were having to create sets and costumes for five or six vastly different kinds of settings because Zack wants to go to the Blade Runner planet and to the Avatar planet and to the, you know, whatever. And the Gungan planet, which is what I'm going to call King Levitica. That's clearly Gungans. Um, But so instead of being able to focus on bringing a particular setting to life, instead there's this scattershot, I guess, uh, attention paid to everything, which... The it's the quality is going to suffer. Like the, you just can't do good work that way. You're not going to be able to do good work. Uh, and it's all and all of this all of this movies problems are at the conceptual level. Like it's that's what's really nuts to me. Like it's not even a matter of like, well, they got screwed by the studio or the script was bad or, you know, the the they ended up having to cheap out, so that's why I don't get blah 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 blah. This there's no way this would have worked. In any, I, I don't think there's, I don't think there's a way you could make this work, Ronnie. I, I don't know. What do you think?
1: Maybe the R-rated cut solves all of the problems. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm kidding. No, this is this, this is this is a movie where you have to go back to the drawing board and like re-examine all of your premises before you start it again. And it makes me wonder, like, what... So it was,
0: it was literally about... Not, they, they started pre-production in 2001. Where they started doing casting. Uh, sorry, oh, no, I'm sorry. Uh, 2019 is when they start pre-production.
1: Um, that would have been pretty wild if they started in 2001.
0: Not 2001, I'm sorry, 2021, uh, is what I meant to say. But they start pre-production in, like, 2019 or 2020, right? Um, oh, it, it says here, I'm oh, sorry, on Wikipedia, so Snyder planned it to be a TV show. Uh, now that makes more game. sense <laughs> <laughs> This is so Take it as a sign man Take it as a sign that It's not gonna be if a Star you're, Wars if you're fucking It's not gonna be a TV can show be,
1: Can be a movie and a video game And a TV show like you, you Clearly problems with your concept Yeah oh yeah Because those exactly. are all wildly different mediums Yeah
0: Um no, apparently, oh, I'm sorry, yeah, apparently to the, uh, in the production development section of uh, Wikipedia, it says here that the initial kernel of this uh, project was started in
1: 1997. Sure. <laughs> you probably just saw the fucking, uh, uh, the, the re-release of the original Star Wars in 97 and was like, I could do that. <laughs> you're right but this is apparently the uh Zack Snyder and his
0: longtime writing partner um uh Kurt Johnstad, have said that like this had its genesis in the late 90s which is just fucking insane so so it began in the late 90s languished for 13 years until they reworked it as a as a Star Wars pitch which was rejected and then languished for another 10 years
1: <laughs> sometimes it's all right to just give up on a project
0: I realized something rebel moon is Zack Snyder's equivalent to Elon Musk trying to make X.com happen. <laughs> he he similarly was in, in 1999. He had the domain X.com was trying to make it take off. Uh, so the same span of time has seen uh, these men finally get their bite at the apple. You know, Musk has Twitter and he renamed it. Zack uh Has the 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 wherewithal the the weight around Hollywood to have his stupid Star Wars pastiche made? Huh. Wow. Well, that I, I think we've kind of. It feels like we've been talking in broad strokes, but we've also gone on pretty long. So I think that's a good place to kind of wrap it up. Um,
1: I think so we should we, do our uh, highlights and lowlights.
0: We'll do some highlights and lowlights. I think that's that's a good that's a good uh, that's a good thing. How about? um
1: I think my I highlight know. was my highlight was yeah. when Ed Screen got uh, punched in the balls. That was pretty funny. was <laughs> well, they did have a groin shot. Uh, that's pretty good.
0: Um, okay, yeah, I'll go. Uh, one of uh, I think one of my highlights. Um, I really did like the design on the the robot knight. I thought it was kind of cool because it was a it's a C three PO looking type guy. But
1: um, I liked the way the a po type looking guy like a. Anti-gay euphemism? <laughs> no, not not at all. You not know all. all those C three PO looking guys down in the Castro district.
0: <laughs> but anyway, but the robot carapace had a lot of uh, filigree and elaborate design on it, like a uh, like a Renaissance suit of armor. And I thought that was that looked pretty cool. That was uh, that that I, I liked that look. I liked that element of design. Um, I also, uh, Korra, Cora, our 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 main. Kick-ass woman, played by uh, French-Algerian actress Sophia Boutella. Uh, I was shocked when Ronnie informed me that she is uh, actually one year older than me, because uh, she looks and great. she looks and so I...
1: much better than you would She looks... <laughs> as, as I as I said, if you told aliens that Sophia Boutella and Daniel Dotti were the same species, they would not believe you. <laughs> they wouldn't. They They're would not. They are like, notice. okay, this is some sort of, like... You know, human goddess and a a dwarf halfling leprechaun <laughs> creature,
0: which which lurks around the edges of their society, darting, flitting from fed rock to rock, fed
1: by fed in fish heads, <laughs>
0: just out of sight. <laughs> yes, because I because I think I made some comment about like uh, you know Sophia Putella, like uh, you know mentioned like oh you know she's like you know a a, a teen girl kicking ass Uh sounds like Josh Whedon. And Ronnie pointed out, I was like, "No, nah, dude, she is your age, uh, actually a little older. And I was shamed. The fact
1: that she's that the actress is 41 is funnier when you realize that she is the adoptive daughter of Balsarius, who is played by a Irishman who is comically named Fra Fee, <laughs> uh, who is 36 years old. Yeah. Yeah. Uh
0: yeah, Fra Fee. It really does sound like that's the 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 king of a fairy. Who's his brother? Folborn, folks. I guess. I guess so. <laughs> Apparently, his real first name is Francis, but he goes by Fra. I've never. Maybe
1: that's an Irish thing. I don't know. Is it an Irish thing to make your name dumber? Um. Maybe,
0: but I'm gonna say no. <laughs> I don't. I don't know a lot. Of, I don't know a lot about the culture of the home country, man. I am. Uh, I am. I am. I am a full-on corn-fed American hog, who <laughs> who happens to be you derived need to from... to go on a
1: pilgrimage to get in touch with your your roots.
0: Well, my uncle Merritt did that. Uh, he actually. I, I know the village to go to. It's called Ballymote, and it's in County Mayo. So uh, one of these days, I'm going to go, uh, but uh, but not now, and not because of Rebel Moon. Um, yeah, because you're spending about... all your money on
1: your fucking light up keyboard.
0: <laughs> my gamer keyboard is so good. Oh man, I'm gonna order a new yeah. Chair yeah, too.
1: Daniel got a fucking gamer keyboard over the holidays, and I hate it.
0: <laughs> it is even that I got it. It's like, well, no, I, I did get it. Um, I used a a gift card to actually procure it, uh, and it was marked down heavily. So it's been very funny to me to send pictures of Ronnie of my sweet new keyboard. Uh, as really I said, as
1: it. I've said multiple times, light up keyboard is just the adult version of light up shoes. Exactly, beloved by all. Uh, but let's move on Annoyed to low lights. peacocking. Let's move on to low lights. What
0: what would you, if it's possible, could you pick a a, a singular low light to
1: discuss? Well, I already mentioned that I thought Ed Screen was a, gave a terrible performance, which. I yeah. upon reading wikipedia i noticed that he was actually a replacement for another actor who had to bow out due to scheduling conflicts oh um rupert friend who was uh the second hitman in the uh the terrible hitman movie uh, <laughs> Hit so we have, to, we have the we have
0: yeah so we have the uh the second uh transporter and then the second uh hitman were vying for the role that's pretty good
1: Yeah, um, if you look at what Rupert Friend is doing around this time, uh, he was in uh, Asteroid City by Wes Anderson, and I like to think that he had the choices between uh, Zack (laughs) Snyder's Star Wars and Wes Anderson's Asteroid City, and he made the correct choice. Um, But anyway, uh, 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 let's see, lowlights. I would say the overall use of the threat of sexual violence was uh, disquieting. Yeah. And yeah, I, I mean it was and the fact multiple, that it's PG, multiple and times. the fact that this is the PG thirteen version suggests to me that the R rated version is going to be even more egregious in its use of sexual violence or the threat thereof. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's because not like on... we already know the Imperium is bad. We don't need to see a bunch of Imperium soldiers try to rape a, a townswoman in order to establish that they're the baddies. Yeah. You know, you you didn't see the fucking stormtroopers like uh, like like ripping the 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 legs off of spiders in their free time to show that they were evil. You know? <laughs> yes. <laughs> There's a time and place for everything, and I don't think that rape should belong in your PG-13 space opera. I I I completely agree. I I completely agree. It's it's really
0: it's uh gratuitous. And and, and and you can
1: really tell that it was like Zack Snyder's like this isn't your daddy's Star Wars. It's
0: it's the it's the only move that he has. It's like an fucking um oh god, what was that uh other anthology movie he made with the with the schoolgirls?
1: Sucker Punch. Sucker Punch. Yes. Where another, again, like all... another another classic by Zach.
0: <laughs> Where again, like his 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 only means of like making stakes.
1: Which I read or, a or... I read a fucking like excerpt from an interview from him, and he claims that that movie is satire. And if so, we need to retire American satire for a couple of years and figure out what the hell's going on. <sighs>
0: <laughs> I think that's I think Zach had the same response uh when he, when he when he saw the reception his movie got as Tommy Wiseau uh when he started claiming that the room is a black comedy.
1: Oh yeah, I, I meant to do that. <laughs> it's same female energy.
0: Yeah, that's an excellent low light, and I, I don't think I can top that and it, it's really illustrative of, of a lot of the uh the problems going on here. Um I guess for me, if I, I think I actually touched on most of the things that just really rubbed me the wrong way the most in kind of the general discussion. Uh, but I really, 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 I think a low light for me was the Blade Runner planet because that, it was, that was just confusing. It was confusing, and it was just so lazy because it really was. It was, it, 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 it was like. By the all, way, all Nemesis. Did, Nemesis.
1: The. Uh, the, the Cyborg Swordsmaster has laser swords, which are basically lightsabers.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yes, they just look like lightsabers with a little more kind of flame effect on them. They're not quite the as lightsaber. They don't the have lightsaber. The, the lightsaber
1: sound effect, so it's okay. Right, yeah, but it's, you
0: know, yeah. Uh, but but just the, the whole idea of it of, like, that's where they find the Asian one. <laughs> it's on the Blade Runner planet. And we were, we were talking about this the other day, actually, where, like... This is, I think it's an example of where Zach has a response. He likes something, but he cannot tell you why he likes it. Because, like, okay, Los Angeles 2019 in Blade Runner. It evokes a sense of alienation through the use of, uh, for lack of a better term, foreign language and foreigners, right? Part Part of how it creates an atmosphere of Decker feeling isolated from this world around him is by filling it with people who are quote unquote foreign. And it's a little bit like, <clears throat> you know, it's kind of like a, an extrapolation of, you know, cross uh economic interconnection that in the future might blossom into kind of cross settling, what have you. Um, but it's, it's, you know, but that's, that's the why that's why there's this rainy city with a lot of neon signs in Japanese. All right. It's not there because that looks cool. I mean, it does, but it looks and feels cool because what it is conveying is the atmosphere of the setting. Zack doesn't understand that. All he knows how to do is just ape it as closely as he can with his crappy streaming TV show.
1: Speaking of which, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but aren't there, like, a character or characters that look basically like Furiosa from Fury Road? Yeah, yeah,
0: multiple, uh, including, well, hey, one of those is non-binary.
1: Yeah, the (laughs) non-binary character named after right-wing screenwriter John Milius. (laughs)
0: John Milius. So,
1: you don't even know what the fuck that is commentary on. No clue,
0: no clue what he's trying to say there. But yeah, that's a character Also, it's the
1: best kind of non-binary representation by which you can only know that it's non-binary representation if you read the Wikipedia page.
0: Right, exactly. Because at no point, like the the, uh, the so the 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 actor they cast is non-binary, um, so uh, they use they them pronouns, and that's that's cool. Like if you have a character and you're casting a non-binary person, a non-binary actor, that's great. Uh, but it didn't have any bearing on anything, and no one in the movie addresses this character as they. Or them, like it. It it literally does not come up. It has no bearing on anything. So it's the
1: same kind of bullshit, like uh, you know, first gay character in Disney bullshit that we've been dealing with the last like five years. It <laughs> reminds me of when I went to see uh fucking Elemental, really high on edibles, and apparently there was a non-binary water character, and it's like, sure. <laughs>
0: Why not? I, I um... had
1: to read a fucking news article about that <laughs> to find that out. I didn't learn that from you know watching the film, but I guess you know there's different ways of of uh, expressing representation, and sometimes you have to read the fucking instruction manual to find out. <laughs> right, and it just feel it just feels like such a
0: uh, it's an insult to that actor, and I think it's 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 such an insulting sop to non-binary people and part of it is like on the one hand yeah it's i guess it's indicative of some kind of like progress toward acceptance and understanding that anyone felt the need to talk about this and say that's what they're doing in the movie but it's also so perfunctory that it just comes off as very insulting but i'm i'm not a non-binary person i it may hit different but it feels very thin
1: one thing i liked Uh, about uh about the movie is that, uh, they saddle the Asian character with a sense of honor, which has <laughs> never been in a movie before. I don't think, um,
0: but wait a minute. I thought these guys weren't heroes, only rebels.
1: Well, uh, nemesis has this whole long thing about how, you know, revenge is wrong, but then they immediately, uh, recruit, uh, Digimon Hansu on the, uh, the, the, uh, offer of getting revenge the gladi- against the Imperium. Uh, Right, right. So it's like,
0: you know, choose your own motivation. (laughs)
1: Yeah,
0: none none of the characters have a motivation in common. Wait for for the fucking
1: downloadable content to get the characters' motivations.
0: At least with Jimon Honsu's character, like, I get that he wants to go kick Imperial ass. This is his chance to do that.
1: Also, it's kind of like, well, would you rather be a homeless beggar on the street or would you rather (laughs) suit up on a spaceship and go kick some ass? Yeah, I mean, it's not really but, a hard choice, but, in
0: my mind. But like the 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 cyborg swordmaster, the uh, the Jason Momoa animal whisperer, uh, I don't know what I don't know what why they're throwing in. Is it just for something to do? Who knows? Maybe they'll have a a, a flashback that'll explain it. But I think this is where we need to kind of put it into this, Ronnie. I I, I honestly can't feel like I can talk about this bullshit any longer.
1: Um, uh just uh just tune in like uh 4 months from now when we'll do the uh director's cut of this podcast. Uh... It's going to be twice as long and and uh <laughs> filled with with more uh with more references to sexual violence. Exactly.
0: It's going to be much more graphic. Uh and you, and you all will enjoy. Um, but we but we speak... will
1: we will definitely uh be covering uh the Scar Giver part 2 that's uh premiering <laughs> April 19th. <laughs> Uh,
0: uh, all right. I guess we will. But on, on before Hitler, then, Hitler's
1: birthday Eve
0: on <laughs> before that though, um, we'll have another. We have another bonus episode coming up where uh, we're actually going to be having on friend of the show uh, and the host of uh the tremendous podcast Bad Time Radio, which both me and Ronnie have guested on uh, multiple times before. I would urge you to check it out. Lawrence is going to be joining us to discuss since we. Since we uh, we we covered you know the, the the main influences on what Zach's doing here are Star Wars and Warhammer Forty Thousand, so we figured me and Lawrence are both forty uh, K guys. We thought it was time that we educated Ronnie on the glories of uh, Warhammer Forty Thousand tie in fiction. So we're going to be covering a Warhammer. Yeah, Ham we kind of downplayed it,
1: but the the main references in it for War, Warhammer in this movie is stupid Latin names. Yeah, and they have a bunch of stupid Latin names too. Yeah, just like Warhammer.
0: Um but we have we have a good one lined up for you, Ronnie. It's written by uh, Adrian uh Tchaikovsky, who is a real deal science fiction author. Like he has actual real books that have come out. He's won awards. Uh, just like Timothy's on. So we'll see. I mean uh, sci fi
1: author awards. I mean, you know, kind of the grammies of awards. Don't,
0: don't get on don't do this to me. Don't you dare. And in our <laughs> other
1: bonus episode, uh, I'm going to make Daniel watch my most hated movie of 2023.
0: Oh, that's right. Yeah. Mutant mayhem. The, uh, the new, this ain't your daddy's Ninja Turtles. This so. is
1: unrelenting monstrosity of garbage.
0: <laughs> but you can look forward to that unrelenting monstrosity of garbage. As because our, surely uh, I season. haven't,
1: because surely I haven't talked enough about it on my other podcast. I think another, another outlet. I need another ninety minutes of, of, of venting my spleen. You need to exercise these demons, my man.
0: Uh and this will be the forum for you to do that. But in the meantime, thank you for listening. Uh thank you for tuning in to Thronderdome. Of course, we uh, we love all our listeners, which is why we try to keep putting out at least a little bit of trickle of content uh, in between our kind of major undertakings. Um be on the lookout for more uh more bonus stuff coming up. And then uh, we'll start working on planning on when to announce season four of Thronderdome. But in the meantime, good night all. Good night.